I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the Aussie Rules Grand Final. This year will not be held at the MCG. Because of COVID, it'll be held in Queensland. Yes, Queensland. We look back on the unique sporting religion that means so much to so many people. Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Uh, Thank you, Sunshine. And uh, I should say that today we're going to talk about the uh, the grand final and football and Melbourne and this game that uh, you know dominates dominates everything really, yeah. doesn't it? And the weirdest grand final we've ever seen because for the first time it won't be at the MCG and it'll be in Queensland. Yeah, two well, Victorian teams competing for a grand final in Queensland. How do you think that's going to impact on? Oh, people will watch it by the millions. I mean, it, it, it'll still be the same. You know, it'll, it'll, it's still there. It's a, it's a corny thing to say about Aussie rules being a religion in Victoria, but it is. And as a, I remember when I first arrived in Victoria, I realised just what a religion football was. Now, to go back a bit, um, when I lived in New Zealand, I shared an apartment in Christchurch when I worked on the Christchurch Star with an Aussie journalist called Graham Kennedy. Not the Graham Kennedy, but his name was Graham Kennedy. And he tried to convince me about Aussie rules. And I, I didn't understand behinds and this and this many points and that many points. I knew nothing. I couldn't understand the game at all. And also, being a rugby player and follower, to have four goalposts just seemed bizarre to a New Zealand. Well, it's like you couldn't miss, really. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, this is a they big do. part of the ground. They do. I mean, things. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, and by the time I got to Australia, the only, the only Aussie rules person I knew of was Ron Barassi. Even in New Zealand, his name was known. So I arrive in Australia, and then I finally moved to Melbourne um, in the late 1970s. And uh, I'm told instantly, you've got to have a football team, right? You've got to have a football team. And so I actually thought originally, maybe I'll, I'll go for St Kilda, because I like the underdog, and they were... Scraping the barrel at that time. And 40 years later, they're still the underdog. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, <laughs> so my first ever Aussie rules match, I was taken to it by Molly Meldrum. And we go to this football game, and I'm I'm just shocked. I, th- I remember saying at the end of the game, I said to Molly, I said, how do they front up a team for next week? Because guys with broken noses and broken arms and whatever... And I saw Mad Dog Muir in, in physical fights with a guy called Andrews. It was St Kilda plays Essendon, right? He, he doesn't like uh, being called No, he doesn't Mad be called Dog. Mad Dog anymore. That's true. But that was his nickname back then. And that would have been Ron Andrews. Ron Andrews, yeah. yeah. So they were having this – it was like Muhammad Ali in the boxing ring. They were fighting like crazy. I get up next morning, and I was quite surprised by the violence of the game. Next morning I get up and I pick up the Sunday paper, and the headline says, Animals – and with Essendon claiming that St Kilda, that it was the, I had watched one of the most violent football games in history, which I didn't know. I thought it was a normal weekly thing. And uh, I recall also a while later, when I got to know football a bit, uh, I was invited to give a speech at, uh, at the St Kilda Football Club. And I was a surprised guest. It was a roast, I think, for Molly. And uh, I'm in this room, which was empty. They were, I think they were rebuilding the president's room at the time. So I'm in this empty room while they're waiting to bring me on. 
and I get out there, and by now I joined Melbourne, but there's a hostile crowd, and I said, I was in this strange room just a minute ago, and it was totally empty. And I suddenly realised what it was. It was a St Kilda trophy room. <laughs> and it went down. It went down, yeah. As I used to say, it went down like a fart in a spacesuit. You know, that was, uh, that was bad. But the weirdest thing was, I then, I, I got involved in, with Melbourne in a funny way because there was a very new and glamorous um, newsreader on Channel O, then Channel 10, called Annette Allison. And she had somehow become the number one female ticket holder, ladies ticket holder for Melbourne. And I kept inviting her out on a date and she didn't want to come. And in the end, she said, well, come to the football with me. So I go to a, a football game, a Melbourne football game with Annette Allison and went to the football and went home a year later. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that night, her fellow newsreader was a guy called Bruce Mansfield who was also doing ch- uh, Saturday nights on 3AW. And Annette and I had had a couple of drinks at the, uh, the Melbourne game after the game, which I'm sure we lost because we always did. But we decided we'd swing by, uh, we'd swing by 3AW because it was either his birthday or her birthday. And when we walk in together, me from, me from 3AW and Annette, Bruce was gobsmacked. <laughs> he couldn't work out what the hell is going on here. So anyway, I joined Melbourne. Over the years, I ended up becoming their number two ticket holder. Um, Peter Sullivan and I once wrote a song um, called It's Melbourne's Game, uh, a, a new song for Melbourne. And I remember, you know, we're climbing up, we're going to reach the top. And I, and I said, uh, I remember the song, It's Melbourne's Game, It's Our Team and Our Name. And at the end of the song, he sings it, but at the end of the song, you hear Hinch's voice booming out, Football, we invented it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if we can. Is that song available anywhere? I suppose is it is. On, I mean, on, on YouTube yeah, or anything? Yeah, yeah, I guess it would be. Yeah, it was called. Yeah, you know, I remember saying, "Football, we invented it." We're, we're, we're talking about, I think, the the early eighties. Early eighties. Rob, yes. Robbie Flower was one of yes, the he was, yeah. players. And uh, Melbourne really wasn't going through a very well, good we haven't period. Well, we haven't won a premiership since 1964. I, uh, I don't follow them anymore. Uh, I, I'm, I'm unusual in Melbourne. I have no football team. And that's because in 2004, it was around the time that uh, they were doing that huge grotto rebuild, $400 million rebuild of the uh, MCG. And as part of it, which is fair enough, they had to tear down the old Melbourne dressing rooms from... 80, 90 years earlier. You know. And uh, they were announcing they were going to have a party to celebrate the end of our dressing rooms, and I was invited. And I suddenly find out it was going to be a male-only affair, and our vice president was Bev O'Connor, the ABC journalist. So they were having a, p- a function for the Melbourne Football Club, and the vice president couldn't go. So I, um, I resigned on air that morning, and uh, never went back, and and haven't been back. And uh, that was it. F- football clubs back then had a weird. Uh, it was a heavy drinking culture. I mm. mean, every Saturday after the because all the games were played on a Saturday. Yeah, twelve teams were in the competition, and uh, it was prior to it expanding into a almost you know having a Sydney national team, national, yeah. national team. So they'd all be played on a Saturday. They'd all go back to the clubs' rooms. They'd all get drunk, 
and then front up again on Sunday for World of Sport. And uh, mm. it was a, a particularly weird Melbourne pastime culture. Yeah, I well, we'd all, we'd all go back to, at that stage, Ron Barassi owned a pub uh, in Richmond called The Mountain View, which I should call The Mountain Spew. Uh, and uh, we'd all go back uh, to, to his pub after, after the football. And You two got to know each other. Very yeah, well. very, very well, yeah, yeah. He had, I used to love Barass's um, slogan, two word, a series of two-letter two, word, two words. If it is to be, it is up to me. That was his slogan. If it is to be, it is up to me. And when I had a fight with AW once and walked out, um, Barass called me at home and gave me a, gave me a football spray. You know, you owe it to the team and you know, a team. And I said, I'm not a member of a team. There's no I in team. I said, I'm not a member of a team, Ron. Here he said, there's no I in team. I said, yeah, I'm not a member of a team, Ron. Uh, he used to, he didn't mind you calling him Barass or Ronald Dale, but never call him Barassi. He would flare because I guess, I think he told me once, when he was at school, the teacher would call him Barassi and he took it as an insult. You know? And so you could say, I used to call him Ronald Dale all the time, Ronald Dale. Um, I, I interviewed him once and I talked about, uh, him going back to the grave of his father because his father mm -hmm. died in the Second World War. And, and his father was a pretty big name in football, he VFL was. football back then. And he spoke very emotionally. I, I mean, he talked about how he cried at the grave of his dad because uh, he didn't know his dad. You know, he, he was young. Mm -hmm. And football, VFL, raised money to look after Ron uh, as he got older, and Norm Smith, the great coach, actually took him under he, his he wing. He became almost and his he, foster son. And he lived son. in his house, yeah. yeah. He almost became uh, Norm Smith's foster son because he Smith raised him and looked after him so well and all that. And, of course, Brass was the first one who, uh, well, maybe not the first one, but the most famous one, who switched clubs. And that was just not done. You know, I think he went from Melbourne to Carlton or whatever. And that was seen as being a traitor. It was one of the first big, big moments. I um, I was fascinated with, with, with Australian rules. And, and, and the Melbourne Football Club, the joke I used to make was I, used to, I was very fond of Jimmy Steins. And he and I got on extremely well. And, and we, we both had cancer around the same time. Um, I remember being at a VFL, at a uh, AFL grand final breakfast. And it was a time that Jim was was going to Indonesia and doing all sorts of smoking ceremonies and and uh, having coffee enemas and stuff. And I remember back, tapping him on the shoulder. I was on the head table. I walked down to his table. He was sitting there with his mum and dad. And I said, Gee, Jimmy, I don't take coffee from either end. <laughs> but the, well, joke, he, he, the joke used to be that, because he they lost that, that final, the preliminary final, when he ran across Bacchanara's mark. And yeah, now something came up in Twitter about that apparently, yesterday. Yeah, but he, I think he got a 50-yard or something – if it went to be 50 metre penalty. That went to 15 metre penalty. Anyway, it took him right to the goal. But my joke was that the reason Jimmy ran across um, the mark was because his mum was in the grandstand, was to tell his mum they'd won. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we used to have another joke in the Melbourne, sick joke in the Melbourne club is, how do you lose a preliminary final, play an Irishman, how do you guarantee it, play two? Because we had two Irish players in there. Now, something came up in Twitter about you going back to the rooms and, uh, you know, slamming yeah, the yeah, door with, down with or Spencer, something. With Spencer, uh, the, the club president. Um, now, this, I, I did reply to it. It is true that Stuart Spencer, I think his name was, and, and I did go down to the rooms afterwards, but to the umpire's rooms, but I didn't go inside. He went in to complain to the umps, but I mean, I didn't know much about football. I, mean, I knew we'd, we'd been dudded. I knew we'd lost, but I stayed outside. But there was a story on, on Twitter said very confidently, oh, that was Gary Lyons apparently was saying it on, on tele- radio on the e- other day. On that, ECN, that, yeah. that Hinch had stormed out of the room and gone to the umpire's room and ripped the shit out of the umpires. Well, not quite. It was almost true, but not quite true. I, I did go down, but I didn't go inside. Now, uh, you, you never saw a Melbourne Premiership because there hasn't been one. No, I, look, I remember the last Melbourne Grand Final. I went to it and I took my old mate who, who used to own who owned Romeos, Jimmy Tannis, who, who died several years ago, and Jimmy and I went. To, I took him to the to the, the the final, and people thought he was my bodyguard because he's a fairly imposing guy in a big black coat, but he was he was just a friend, and we got. I refer to that game as a time it was Essendon versus Melbourne from memory. And I remember saying, uh, what, day- year, "What year was it, uh, uh, Darren?" Because because I remember a nineteen eighty eight, eighty eighty something. But and, I remember and, looking. And it at was G- Melbourne versus Hawthorne as the MCG. Uh, well, I I, can't, I may be wrong. Okay, I do know that I said this was the day that the men came to play the boys because Melbourne was so outclassed. Yes, and uh, I remember turning to to Jimmy, who used to own Romeo's, my favourite restaurant, and I said to Jimmy about. Quarter time, just after quarter time, I said, um, do you have any wine at your house? He said, yeah. I said, do you have any food? He said, well, we can pick some up at the restaurant and have some sent around. He said, why? I said, let's walk out and pretend we're going to the toilet and just keep walking because I don't want to see the rest of this. I'll watch it at home, what I have to see, and that's what we did. I remember that day because I was on the other side of the world, or not the other side, mm. but a fair way away, at the Olympic Games in Seoul, at the stadium in South Korea. Oh. And that was the day of the 100 metres final, the, okay. the most famous race in Olympic history when Ben Johnson beat Carl Lewis. Mm. And we were following the scores. I don't know how we were getting them because um, you know technology wasn't what it is now. But we were picking up that uh, Hawthorne were like uh, way, way in front of uh, Melbourne and uh, and then eventually Melbourne lost badly. Yeah, by, the, badly. by that, that stage, I think by the biggest margin in grand final history, which has since been beaten, I think. Uh, yeah. Is that the only grand final you've been to? Oh, no, I've been been, been a number of them, but I... Uh, what, what are the notable ones that you uh, um When um, Hawthorne again, when uh, um, uh, Dipper had his ribs broken and played on, and uh, Brereton got taken out very early and was vomiting on the ground and refused to kneel down because he wanted to prove he wasn't that hurt. You know, That was uh, the 89 grade. I think that's one where, where, where they played Geelong. I think Ablett yes. scored nine goals and they still and lost. They still lost. Well, that's regarded as mm. one Do of you the know, best that, that, I, I don't, ever. I'm not a football um, historian by any means. So I don't know much about it. But I do recall that day... Geelong was in all three grand finals, under 18, reserves, and the big league. 
they lost all three by a total of 12 points. Can you imagine <laughs> driving home that it's night? Incredible. They've lost three grand finals by a total of, not, of, of, of 11 or 12 points. And up until that point, Geelong had, uh, you know, failed for about 30 years because mm. it wasn't, you know, the early 60s when Bobby Davis was the coach was uh, was when they last won a premiership. So to lose like that yeah. after a long drought so would have been uh, very difficult. Yeah. Well, to, I remember uh, being at, um, when they had to close the MCG and moved us all out to Waverley, um, I remember being there that day when Fitzroy beat Melbourne by the biggest margin in history. It was just an absolute slaughter. I think we lost by about 150 points, 180 points or something, you know. So that was that. But look, my, my interest in football, as I mentioned, was went back to when I mean, trying to be convinced in New Zealand what a great game it was. My, one of my prized possessions, and we're not on television, but I have a little tarnished silver cup in front of me, which, uh, which says on it, the VFL Media Award, 1985, I think it says, uh, for the best media report, and I wasn't even a sports journalist and I win this little trophy because I decided one day on 3AW when the VFL was in trouble and I did a um, – I think I devoted the whole program to, to, the, to the VFL. How can we improve football? They had all the experts on and Sheedy, Sheedy and Barassi and, and everybody, you know, and Lou Richards and, uh, and, and, and it won this award, which is quite funny that a non-sporting journalist wins a sporting award. Now, Jack Hamilton would have given you that award. Yeah, I, I, I don't know who voted for it. I don't know how it got it, but I, I did go and collect it there. And uh, I, I, I had a great relationship with Jack Hamilton. He was a, I went to his funeral. He was a, he was a lovely man. Well, he did it all for nothing. Yeah. You know, those guys uh, volunteered their time. Now, now you've got, you know, the chief executive of the AFL earning a figure that we're not even allowed to know about. Yeah. It's something in the millions. Andrew Demetrio had a, had a wage of about $3 million. Jack Hamilton and those guys. They volunteered. Uh, did, who was the guy in Sydney that uh, got into a lot of trouble because he died up there in a... Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Alan. Alan. Alan Alan Schwab. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, do did. you remember the? the I Schwab do indeed. Situation? He, he he died. Uh, he went up to Sydney to try and save this the, the Swans club. Mm. Uh, he was in un, um, unusual circumstances, and uh, it, it may have been a bit of amyl nitrate involved in that. And he, uh, he's sort of like Billy Snedden, he died on the job. Mm. So mm. there we are. Yeah, Hamilton. And I got we got I got on very well with with, with Jack. He was a. Uh, and when you think of it now, I mean. Demetrius was, was so powerful in the AFL. His behaviour at the Crown Inquiry in Sydney... Atrocious. Has, ...has been atrocious. I mean, the man was using cheat sheets. He didn't even tell his own silk, his own lawyer, that he was, he was cribbing of cheat sheets, and he's talking about you know, culture in the club, denied he was reading it, and then they, when they, the, they ordered him to produce his notes... What he was saying was exactly what he'd picked off the internet. Uh, it's just anyway. That's a, that's a, that's a whole different story. Look, the um, this grand final. Uh, it's going to be so different. I mean, it's great that that Mike Brady is going to be singing up the Gazali at the MCG. There should be a, a piano there as well, and it should be Peter Sullivan playing with him because. They wrote that as the two-man band. It wasn't Mike Brady. It was a uh, Sully up there. Gazali started out as I remember as a, a promo for Channel 7. And they turn it into a big song. So that'll be good. We have these terrible restrictions. 
which I don't quite understand that because of the uh, the stuff announced on Sunday by the Premier releasing some of our, softening some of our restrictions and five kilometres goes to 25 kilometres, which is great, and weddings some more people and funerals some more people, but I, I can't see why... If you can have a an outdoor meeting of say five or ten people, uh, and a family, two families can get together, two couples and their children, why single people? What's wrong with five single people getting together? I, 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 that's that intrigues me. Well, what you're raising is some of the inconsistencies that have happened all the way uh, through mm. here. I, I mean, how do you rate Daniel Andrews' performance in, um, in all this? And then, of course, okay, on, quar- the on quarantine, on quarantine, very, very low, very badly. They, the idea of hiring private guards was wrong. The fact that they were hiring a private guards company based in Sydney because it was indigenous, it was very, that's very worthy. That was wrong. Uh, the company that was one of the main companies they hired of private guards was not even on the approved list in Victoria. Uh, the fact that they they only had like seventy employees and they needed fifteen hundred. That was wrong. And since then, of course, it's now turned out that who ordered it? Now, I don't believe that um, I don't believe that a public servant, no matter how high up he is, uh, however he is, can make a decision on that well, well, without, the, his, without his boss's approval. The quarantine inquiry, very quickly, the council assisting came up with this term, creeping assumption. So mm. she was even suggesting that no decision had been made. Well, that's bullshit because, I mean, I know that creeping assumption – Having been in politics, having been in Parliament, you don't make creeping assumptions. Um, Eccles, as a senior public servant, the Premier's closest employee, would not have made that decision of his own bat. I mean, on sunrise recently, I stole from Watergate because during Watergate, um, a senator said about Watergate, he said, what did the President know and when did he know it? And I've been saying since in recent weeks, what did the Premier know and when did he know it? Because the, the, the gun points straight back at Andrews that he must have organised it. Because they agreed at one stage to take the um, the, the defence personnel and then overrode it and said no. Okay, so let's cut right to it. If Chris Eccles didn't make the decision mm. and he was head of the Premier's department, who made the decision? The Premier. Had to be. Or if, if another minister made the decision, the Premier approved it. Now, Ashton didn't want the police to do it. We know that. And, uh, and, all, and the evidence all around with those missing six minutes, etc. Ashton didn't want the police involved. And so he was very keen when, when, when he got that phone call, I presume from Eccles, that, um, oh, it's okay, you're not doing it. We've got private guards doing it. Well, he, he did get that phone call because the record show it yeah. came from Eccles. What was said is in dispute because Eccles says he didn't mention anything about private guards. But um, amazingly, um, as soon as he got that phone call, uh, Graham Ashton uh, SMSed uh, the, feds. The, the, the feds and said, oh, it, it, we're going to do private security. Yeah, so where did that come from? The other thing is you've got Sutton, whom I've admired. In re- I, watch him, I watch him every day. Uh, Sutton, the, uh, the, the, the chief health officer, uh, I listened to his testimony, and I mean, there's there's, there's doubts there now because he he claimed he didn't know anything about it till about May, and yet he's been copied in on, or he has sent on past emails from March. He, he certainly didn't make the decision. No, 
No. So 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 it really narrows down to Daniel Andrews. Now now what do you think of a guy who's the premier of Victoria in the middle of a pandemic who can look down the camera at the Victorian people who he is serving and deny point blank that he knows who made the decision, calls an inquiry which costs in the end six more million. than six million to try and find out who it was. And in the meantime, he could have asked if he really wanted to know. Uh, I mean, what do you make of? Well, that's, that's I mean, re- really, we're, we're getting to, to, to integrity that is destroyed as far as I'm concerned. Look, but I think because we've got the, the other scandal with Berejiklian uh, in, in New South Wales, I think either Premier should resign during the, the, uh, the COVID crisis. It's, too, it's still too dangerous and we need them both there. But uh, if you want Hinch's hunch, I don't think that, uh, that Andrews will lead the Labor Party to the next election. Well, he wants to. I mean, he, he's talking... Well, he was talking about... Um, rebuilding, the, the talk- biggest not- rebuilding in Victoria's history. Yeah, but I was, I was getting gossip before COVID that Andrews, who's been there for some years, was not keen to continue. So it would be quite uh, opportune for him if he says, when, in a year's time or six months' time, when all the COVID, we hope, is behind us and we're back in business and we're, shops are open, etc., and bars and cafes... But I wouldn't be at all surprised. He said, "I've done my bit. COVID was my was my peak." I mean, I mean, give him credit, and I give them all credit. This includes Sutton and and all all of their offsiders. Few, uh, several months ago, we were having staring at seven hundred and twenty five cases a day and twenty deaths. Uh, this week, we've some days had one case, two cases, and no deaths. Now, that is because they put in some very harsh restrictions. But we've got the stage now where we have far less cases than New South Wales and yet still far more restrictions than New South Wales. So, Well, what's happened also is, I mean, um, I, mean I, I look on Twitter and I see the people that support Andrews. I mean, if, you're, if you worked in government, if you're uh, getting a government wage, uh, your employment is safe... Mm. Uh, you're okay, you've done all right during this period. But if you had a small business, you've been decimated. Yeah, well, that's why I feel very <laughs> sad. I mean, we've we'll, we'll it over last weekend with the photographs of the footage of um, a man with a clothing store who reopens his shop and a woman who owns a hairdressing salon reopened hers. And they've been, because they said we can't go on without earning some money, they've both been fined 10 grand. They wouldn't earn 10 grand in a week. I mean, it's just, but it's the frustration and the anger that uh, we've been shut down so much. I was saying on Sunrise uh, the other day, I wished uh, last weekend, I wished that Andrews, the Premier, had actually said, hey, on Friday, hey, Victoria, you've done so well. You've been so obedient. You've been so patient. We're going to increase for this weekend, we're going to increase to 20Ks, 25Ks, whatever. Go for it tomorrow. But he didn't. We held off on this mythical Sunday announcement. I mean, why do we have to have that? I mean, the same thing happened with Mother's Day. Remember, Mother's Day was blocked. We weren't allowed to have it. And he lifted the restrictions the next day. Um, I understand that we're in the middle of a pandemic and you say that he shouldn't resign. But isn't there an overriding thing? I mean, ministerial responsibility, the Westminster system, if you mislead. I, I mean, do you really believe, Darren, that the federal government offered every other state 
ADF help, mm. but didn't offer it to Victoria. No, it was offered here. I mean, we've seen the proof now. It was offered here. And but, it was, it, but he's still claiming it wasn't. Yeah, well, it was, it's, been, it's been proven now by some of the, uh, the paper. And that's what is, is weird. The, the paper trail has always been there. And he's a very astute politician. He must have known the paper trail was there and is still there. And we've got the... Uh, We've got the, um, the the hearings being reopened, so it's, it's 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 very damning and will be very damning. But I still think that probably when we're in such a crisis, uh, it's not time here or in New South Wales to to change horses. Just quickly on New South Wales, uh, what do you make of that? relationship that she had uh, well, he, he well, was thinking Gladys was married to the state of New South Wales yeah, well look um, they say love is blind and that proves it and she says in the papers at the weekend that she uh, thought maybe they'd get married but in the next breath says she didn't know that she should make it public so uh, whether they give her for five years or seven years is still being debated the personal side of it is not is not for us but she keeps saying her mantra has been I've done nothing wrong I've done nothing wrong, okay? But, and, and, and legally and uh, corruption-wise, she hasn't. But when if, if, if I was in a relationship with somebody and you heard them say to you, I don't need to know about that or don't tell me about that, that assumes that your partner thinks you're doing something shonky. Absolutely. So she had a duty as the Premier of New South Wales to tell ICAC or to tell whatever the other, other officials are that something's going down. I mean, you heard, I've listened every day of it last week, every minute of it. He was talking about Badgerys Creek, which is a where the federal government paid $30 million for a $3 million property. Right? That's a scandal in itself. He's talking about how he can do a deal with Fiona Waterhouse from that Waterhouse family, where they will sell her property for $330 million dollars he will make enough money out of that as a as a gopher fee to pay off his $1.5 million that he's in debt for. And all the Premier can say to her partner, to her lover, is, I don't need to know about that. And he says, no, you don't. Now, to me, that stinks. I agree. Hmm. I agree. Darren, uh, let's get back to the grand final. Okay. Um uh, it is embarrassing for Melbourne and Victoria that this uh, this, this historic event that's mm. been held, you know, for over 120 years mm. is going to be held in this state of Queensland, which up until, you know, recently has been a rugby league state mm. uh, because of the way we've handled COVID here. Uh, what do you think that'll do to our Victoria's confidence? Look, um People will go with the flow. I mean, we love the we love the football. Uh, we'll all just sit instead of going hundred thousand people going to the grand final. Those hundred thousand will sit at home and watch it on television. Many of us who don't go to grand finals, if your team's not in it, you'll sit and watch it on television like you normally do. Uh, there'll be smaller smaller crowds in your house than you normally do. Um, it still has the excitement. Uh, it is a grand final, and you got two very strong. Um, very strong Victorian teams. Uh, Richmond, Richmond, I think, is a tougher team. Geelong's, a, I think, is a more talented team. And that's the only thing that's going to see which wins out. I mean, in, in the preliminary final, Richmond played a very tough game uh, against Port. And uh, on paper, you'd think they might get across. But if, uh, if, um, if Geelong's on song... 
as as they have been, uh, they could they could win it. Well, the problem is also uh, the Premier is uh, trying to control people's behaviour. If Richmond was to win the grand final, we saw what happened in the in the previous years when they've won. The volume and numbers of people who uh, you know take over Swan Street and and the suburbs. Well, it, it'll Richmond. be like Black Lives Matter. I mean, there's no way the cops are going to stop Richmond supporters from flooding out if they win. No way. I wouldn't have thought so either. No way, no. You know, and uh, uh, I, I can't see that. Um, but I am puzzled by the fact that, that you can have two families visit you. Two families with parents and kids can be in the same house. But if you're single, you can't have three, four, or five people in your house. When two families and the kids, there could be twelve people there. Ten, eight, ten, twelve. So I don't understand that. But Darren, uh, the other thing I wanted—a bit of housekeeping. Uh, we're going to release the uh, podcast now on a Tuesday Good. night. Uh, and the other thing, uh, people, uh, if you're listening and you and you like it. Please, um, number one, register because that's good to read because mm-hmm. that way, the next time a podcast comes, it just magically appears for you in yeah. your system. I don't know how that uh, happens, and uh, and also write a review or, or, or some sort of yeah, review, good would or be bad. Great. We've had some fantastic reviews, um, and people say, "Oh, it's too short," or "You don't do enough." Well, I think half an hour for a podcast is. Uh, it's a pretty good time. It, it, you, you cover enough bases, you cover stuff. But if, if people who are listening want us to do a certain subject, which we're going to do recently, somebody said to me, can you talk about health and diets and things? And I said, yeah, we'll do that. Um, so if you have an idea, just email me at hinch at hinch.net and uh, we'll look at it. Mr Hinch, thank you very much. May the best team win. Indeed. In the grand final. And I, well, I'm hoping Geelong does, actually. Geelong, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm actually hoping Geelong does too. Yeah, I just crossed my mind then. Who do I want to win, Richmond or Geelong? Yeah, I um, and for, for Ablett, it'll be a great way to go out. Yeah, well, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> I mean, his dad never won a premiership, no. uh, and he, he's amazingly similar to his dad, mm. isn't it? When, when we're old but, enough to remember when, when his dad played. Well, going back to that day we were talking about earlier, imagine kicking nine goals in a grand final and you lose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mr Hinch? A great bye-bye.